Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Hi, Greg. Good afternoon, Brett. Nice sunny day. Yeah, we're stuck inside again. Oh, that's okay. We uh, we have Friday, right? That's true. Santa Lucia, Patio Palooza continues on St. Mary's Road. Come on down, join us. Go to cjob.com, find the contest tab on our website, and you too could be with us at Santa Lucia. We've got a hundred bucks, hundred dollar tab for you. And oh, uh, you got the squeaky chair. Yeah. <laughs> it's chair roulette on Mackling and McGarry and Brett. You just lost. Ooh. Oh, oh, it's That's a good day. Eh? My God. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm making my case right now for the powers that be. Can we get some new chairs? New chairs, please, for the studio. <laughs> Don't they say the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Yeah. Yeah, the squeaky chair should get a new chair. <laughs> or five. How's that? <laughs> well said. <laughs> Airing of the grievances right here on Mackling and McGarry. Speaking of grievances. Oh, boy. You and I are both worked up about this one. The he- Well, you you brought this to my attention as it was coming in today. The headline reads what? Family in shock after permanent residency denied by Immigration Canada due to daughter's disability. We've been talking about this all morning on 680 CGOB. In the small Manitoba community of Waterhen, population 169, John and Carissa Warkington are fighting for the right to stay in Canada and run their business. Quote, it had always been our dream to someday have a business of our own, says John. We wanted a community too, a place for our kids to go to school so that they could have friends. And this place almost checked off all of the boxes. Originally from Colorado, John, his wife, and their four kids settled in Waterhen in 2013. They bought the Harvest Lodge roughly four hours north of Winnipeg, and have since invested tens of thousands of dollars into the business which caters to deer and duck hunters and anglers looking to catch walleye and pike. They also employ four people part-time on a seasonal basis. So Global News has been speaking to the Workingtons. Andrew Russell and Brian Hill were up in Waterhen, and here is, in her own words, Carissa Workington. I was shocked and honestly like I felt sick like I I, I I was going between nausea disbelief just what are we gonna do we've invested our life into this community and in this this business we love what we do and I thought well it's not like our daughter um, has excessive daily medical needs or nursing care and I just thought this can't be this can't be true. And then you immediately jump to, okay, well, what are we gonna do? Well, where are we gonna live? Where do we move to? Uh, where do we get jobs? What are we gonna do in the interim? You know, and just, it was, it, was, it was shocking, but like, literally, I did, I felt sick. And I thought, I can't believe this is happening. And then, you know, there's been many sleepless nights because you're trying to figure out, what are you gonna do? <laughs> then for my daughter too, you know, we didn't knowingly move here knowing that she had anything wrong. I mean, she was meeting all of her developmental milestones and it was a year after we had been living here that she had a seizure one day. And to see the look of terror in your child's eyes when their body is spasming out of control and she was vomiting and, you know, to see that, it's such a helpless feeling because there's nothing you can do. 
and they they decided to fly us to Winnipeg to Children's Hospital to try to figure out what was wrong. You know, was it was it a brain tumor? Was it um, you know, some genetic malformation, what was going on, and they discovered that she had epilepsy. Well, epilepsy is a pretty common uh, diagnosis for people, and um, it just so happened that where those seizures were originating in her brain were in the frontal lobe, which is where speech and development originate. So that's affected her development. We had actually gone to visit the neurologist and had made the decision that she'd been seizure-free for two years, so we were going to start weaning her off of the anti-seizure medication. That is the voice of Carissa Workington. Her family has been denied permanent residency in Canada. They came to the province of Manitoba from Colorado under the provincial nominee program, and because of their daughter's medical condition, they are being told that they do not qualify to stay in our country. They've invested tens of thousands of dollars in a lodge up in Waterhen, Manitoba. We're going to continue with Carissa's comments and her story and her words, but we would like to invite you to share with us your immediate and your first reaction to this story. If you have the opportunity, please Pick up the phone. We'd love to hear you in your own words. 204-780-6868 or text message at 204-780-6868. Once again, Carissa Workington. So we really wanted an opportunity to present more information like, hey, you know, she's not even taking medication anymore. And we were confident that our attorney would be able to, you know, with writing this letter, say, can you know, they have legal help now. They didn't before. They live in a rural community. and I want to help them put together more information. Can we please just submit in more information? And they weren't even willing to, to do that. They just, no, our decision is final. And at that point, yeah, like you said, our hearts just sunk. We were like, everything that we've worked for, everything that we've invested, all the friendships that we've made, we may have to literally leave this country in a few months' time. I mean, I can't imagine um, Immigration Canada driving up in a van and saying, you know, you've got to get out of here. But I suppose that could happen, (laughs) you know. We applied to Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program and they thought we would be great candidates. You know, we brought hundreds of thousands of dollars in to buy this business. Um, And like I said, we invested in the local community. We're not the kind of people that just sit at home and do nothing. I mean, we we go to church, we go to our kids' activities at school, we um, get involved in the community. Our, my daughters and I were in drama productions, and you know, I, we just, we've never been in the situation where someone is looking at our family and saying, you're not good enough because of this condition that your daughter can't control. I mean, there's many people that live normal day-to-day lives, get jobs, and they may have to have a different living arrangement, um, maybe where they're in a group care home or something like that, but it's not like it's a, it's a death sentence or it's a, oh, you know, they're, they're going to be of no value to society. And especially when it's your own child or, or your family member, you see the value that they bring to you in their smile or, you know, their laughter or the things that they do that, uh, you know, she, she may have this childlike innocence well into adulthood that can be refreshing and something that people need in the world. I feel that is hugely discriminatory, especially for a child. I mean, I know it's just as the same for an adult, but to say 
that because you have a developmental disability or even a physical disability, that somehow your life in dollars and cents is worth less than the average person. That's, that's really disheartening. Carissa and John Workington, that's Carissa. She's telling us about the situation. Her family has been told by Immigration Canada that they will not be granted permanent residency in Canada because of their daughter's epilepsy. 204-780-6868. And uh, Brett, repeat uh, what you said to Jeff Courier in the newsroom and uh, several other places in our discussions about this today. My first reaction was, that doesn't really seem all that Canadian to want to chase these people out. This is a family that has been here for four years. They purchased a business that... I mean, we don't know what would have happened to the business, but clearly this family wanted this business. They want to to bring people into this part of Manitoba to give them a little piece of paradise, really. You know, there's a quote here that uh, they say there are a lot of places in the States. This is John talking. This is uh, the father, the husband. There are a lot of places in the States when you go to a public hunting area and it's like a parking lot. People want to come here and get away from the busyness of their life and see what real wilderness is really like. And we have that, and that's what's exciting. It's just a beautiful country. So the, this is a family who's come to our country to try to make a business and bring people in, and we're going to send them away because there's a, a health problem in the family. It's like, no, oh, sorry, the door is closed. The gate was open. You were bringing, you're bringing money into our country, but... Uh, you're not a perfect 10 on the health scorecard, so get out. Yes, this just does not feel right on so many levels. And I know that a lot of people are going to be compelled to look at it the way this texter did. I'm miffed. Allow over 30,000 refugees, but deny a family who has a business, which stimulates local, municipal, provincial, national, and the international economy, what the hell is going on here? And I would say take out the 30 refugees, 30,000 refugees reference. On its own merits, this sounds like exactly the kind of people we want, not only in Canada in a broad sense, but specifically here in Manitoba. They are vested. They are conducting business that brings people from the rest of the world to come here and experience Manitoba as we've been marketing it for decades. And the federal government says, nope, sorry. So 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. We have, oh, the lines are starting to light up, and I see we already have a couple of people who have been waiting patiently. So let's talk to Mike, and then we will pause and have a look at your forecast. Mike, thank you for your patience. What do you think of this? No problem. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can buy insurance. Because when you immigrate to this country, that stuff is pretty much, that's right on the application, that if you have a medical condition, you can be refused permanent residency. But you can also buy insurance for that, too. As long as you guarantee uh, customs and immigration that you won't be a burden onto our system, there should, this shouldn't be that big of a, a, big of a, a hurdle to overcome. Now it's one you know thing, I mean? uh, yeah, and I think it's one thing when you when you're staying here for the short term. But it, as you mentioned, this is uh, grounds for being denied, and this has clearly happened to them for denying them their their permanent <laughs> yeah. residency. And I don't know what the regulation would be in terms of of purchasing insurance when really the 
ultimate uh, goal here is for this family to become Canadians. So I, I think it's a great point, and I think uh, it's something that we need to look uh, more into yeah, here, yeah, Mike. I would get a hold of someone from Customs and Immigration and then get them to clarify, see if they'll come on and let you know, like, what can you do to alleviate this problem? Because you get people that immigrate here, they're in their 60s and 70s, and... You know, but then they have to be, was it seven or ten years that you cannot be a burden on the system? Well, Mike, thank you for your thoughts. And well, I'll just put you on hold and, and I'll read this from the Global News story. Global News has, in fact, reached out to the federal government for comment, but was told by a spokesperson for Immigration Minister Ahmed Hussein that the minister was traveling overseas and unavailable for an interview. His office has, however, said the government is reviewing measures surrounding excessive demand and medical inadmissibility, but has not provided specific details on the scope of the review or when any charges changes might be announced. So Global News has reached out to the government, and we've essentially been kind of brushed aside, so to speak. I think, Mike, that makes a good point, though, in finding out about is there a private insurance option that could take away the liability issue that Immigration Canada sees as all Canada's, uh, all Canadians taking on here because of the medical situation. I I think it's an interesting question. Why don't we pause, as you mentioned. We've got a spectacular weather forecast, and then we'll come back to Rose, Dawn, Kim. Hang tight. We want to get to your calls. We appreciate them at 204-780-6868. The Workington family is in shock after permanent residency denied by Immigration Canada due to their daughter's disability. We played extensive audio of Carissa Workington from Global News and her story, and now we want to get your feedback. How do you feel about the Workingtons being told that they are not welcome to stay in Canada? This is a family that has that owns a, a hunting lodge up in Waterhen, which is four hours outside of Winnipeg. They came here from Colorado. Uh, husband, wife, four children. They settled in Waterhen in 2013. People come to their lodge to get away from the busyness of their life, and they have been told, "Nope, sorry." Randy, no, you know what? Pardon me, Rose. We're gonna Randy. Hang on, we're gonna get to you. But Rose has been waiting for ten minutes. Rose, thank you for your patience. What uh, what do you think about this? Well, I think it's absolutely ridiculous and very disheartening. When people come here, they spend money in our province, they pay taxes, they're more than willing to look after their daughter. And we bring, and I know we don't necessarily want to bring up, you know, our refugees, but those that illegally cross the border froze his hands. We will be looking after those people until they decide what to do with them. So I'm not sure how this makes any sense at all. And un-Canadian is definitely what it is. Thank you, Rose. Uh, very well said. You know, and I understand the frustration with the immigration situation the way it is. Lots of comments. Well, I'll just tell them to go back to the United States and walk across the border at Emerson. But I would like to have the conversation surrounding the actual merit of these people being here, regardless of how anybody else is being treated and welcomed into our country right now. This is the exact type of people we want moving to our province. I don't care if they're moving from Northwest Ontario, British Columbia, or Colorado. These are the people we need here in Manitoba to start, run, businesses that are employing locals and are bringing people from around the world to show off our incredible wilderness here in this part of the world. And we got a text here. 
And hey, thank you, Rose. Rose, we appreciate it, the comments very much. And we have a text here that says, there is the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. I don't disagree with the law itself, but it should allow Immigration Canada to review each case. Don is up next at 204-780-6868. Don, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this little girl, um, she was diagnosed with epilepsy when she, a year after or a year or a year ago, uh, they didn't know that she had epilepsy when she got to Canada, did they? That's what they're saying, yes. Yeah, well, put it to you this way. These, these border jumpers that are jumping the border, <clears throat> entering this country illegally, um, Trudeau and the feds are opening them with, uh, welcoming them with open arms, giving them a re- really good pat on the back, welcome to Canada, Stay here as long as you like. We'll pay for everything. The working teens entered Canada legally, from everything I can hear, and uh, opened up a business. They're actually making money and contributing to Canada, but yet the feds don't want them here. How much sense does this does this actually make? To me, zero. Don, I think Trudeau is out to make himself look great on the world stage. Uh, He cares nothing about Canadians, and uh, we need to get rid of this idiot. Okay, Don, thank you very much for the call. We appreciate it. Randy, we have about 45 seconds left, so let's get you on here. What do you think? Real quick, um, I just caught the Oh, you know what, Randy? <laughs> sorry, Randy. You know what? We've uh, we're your sig. I don't know where you're, you are, but your signal's dropping off. So maybe we'll get you on after the news. So just sit tight, Randy. We'll talk to you off the air here, and we'll see if we. Can- oh, he disappeared. Hopefully, he calls back. It's two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight is the number to call. It's also the number to text. We want to continue this conversation after global news at one thirty. What do you think about this? This family who came to Manitoba in 2013 from Colorado bought a business. They employ Manitobans, and they have been told they've been denied permanent residency by Immigration Canada because their daughter has an intellectual disability, which qualifies as medical inadmissibility. What do you think of this? 204-780-6868. Global News at 1.30 is up next. We might as well just jump right back into it. You are responding uh, in fairly unprecedented fashion here. It's Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry with you until 4 o'clock. The story we are discussing and your feedback is... As I said, overwhelming. Family in shock after permanent residency denied by Immigration Canada due to daughter's disability. The Workington family, John, Chris, and their children have uh, been fighting for the right to stay in Canada. They run a business. They have a lodge up in Waterhand, Manitoba, population 169. They're a huge uh, employer in the area. When when I say huge, I think it's four or five people in a population of 169. That's a big deal. And uh, we want your response to this story. And Randy, I know you called us back and uh, we appreciate you doing so. We're going to give you a first crack in the second half hour of the program. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have that much uh, new <laughs> comment to offer. I just want to uh, offer my agreement with what I've heard on the last several callers as to the illogical position of the Canadian 
the federal Canadian government on this. These are, again, people that have done it correctly, who are workers and not shirkers, who are, you know, again, contributing to the economy. And these are the exact people that our government has said they want in our in our country. And I totally agree. And I just want to put a shout out to all the people out uh, in CGOB land on, you know, in, in earshot of this uh, blowtorch to make our federal government's life a living nightmare. And, I, I mean, everybody is saying the same thing. You've got these schmucks that are coming across illegally, and we're rolling out the red carpet, and who knows what the financial Im- impact is going to be, but these guys have done it right. My daughter-in-law immigrated from Chicago, and uh, she's an American. We'll forgive her. <laughs> and, but it took a year and a half and thousands of dollars to get in. And I'm thinking, you know, there's others that have done the same thing. I've got many Filipino friends. I have friends from Nigeria and Kenya who have spent years and thousands of dollars to come in and just jump the queue. And it frustrates me with the war conditions, how they've tried to do it right. They're contributing. They've been honest. And now they're being persecuted. And I don't understand it. It's not only un-Canadian. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. And I just want everybody out there... I want. I, I would encourage you to write a Pallister. I know it's a federal decision, but let's let's get this going and let's make their life a living nightmare because this is just stupid. It's absolutely stupid, and we need to to make them feel it because there's only so many positions to immigrate. There's only so many that can come in. So if we're letting thousands in that shouldn't be here because they're not doing it right, well, guess what? It's going to impact those that should be here. That's my position. Randy, we're glad that you called back in to express this, and uh, we're glad your daughter-in-law is here from Chicago. Is she a Cubs or a White Sox fan? <laughs> I think she's a Cubs. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> I welcome her even more. Hey, Randy, thanks for this. And hey, uh, is, is, is this, Are you Greg Macklin? Is that who yeah, you're here? speaking to Greg, Randy, yeah. Would you know a guy named Ross Macklin? Well, that's my dad, Randy. I worked for him 25 years ago uh, out of Minnedosa. Fantastic. Hey, we'll have to catch up sometime, Randy. You take care. Thank Thanks, you partner. Much. Randy <laughs> joining us here. And it's a small town, Manitoba, right? The whole idea of uh, we're de- separated by exactly one degree. Okay, I'm irate over this. Uh, texter says it's 7806868. Echoing Randy's sentiments, Warkington's must stay. Don't let this story fade away. I just want to quickly point something out here as well. Uh, a lot of people are referring to the the people who are crossing the border illegally, and some have made reference to the the two men whose hands froze and they lost their fingers. In one case, nine digits. One of them lost all ten. So in, with the Warkentons, they were denied because the quote unquote medical inadmissibility has to do with uh, excessive demand. It would place an excessive demand on the system. And they Canada sets the limit for excessive demand at $6,655 a year. With the case of these men who came across the border, and by pointing this out, I'm not saying we should throw these guys out. I think it's actually great that we welcome these men into our country. I think it's... We should be able to do both, right? Yeah, I think we should be able to do both. But the, the system was prepared to commit multi-million dollars in surgeries to one of them so that he could at least have one finger. They were going to take one of his toes and put it on his hand. He actually declined because he hopes to continue to play soccer. But the offer was there to spend millions on him, but 
$6,600 a year to deal with his little girl? Give me a break. James is up next. Hey, James, what do you think? I think this is disgusting. This is beyond disgusting. We just paid a known terrorist $10.5 million. We return uh, citizenship to people that have fought for terrorists. And now we have a family that wants to contribute to our our country, and we're kicking them out. This is it's beyond disgusting. My proposition is, is keep this family and get rid of Trudeau. Yeah, we're getting a lot of anti-Trudeau sentiment, and we thank you for the for your call, James. We appreciate the patience. Waited ten minutes on the line here. I think this is, an, I you know, I think a lot of this. I wonder. I'm hoping that, that a lot of this just has to do with bureaucracy, right? Like how much, how many things fall through the cracks because of bureaucracy? Because somebody sitting at a desk somewhere is just Kicks looking at this box. and going, check, 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 check. Goodbye. Puts paperwork in the wrong pile. Yeah, we've all done it. For we sure. Come in here every single day with our paperwork, and I would say three out of four days, one of the two of us, typically me, doesn't have the paperwork <laughs> that we've painstakingly arranged so that we have the notes that we need to conduct the program for three hours and we're running back to the desk. Uh, Maybe I wouldn't qualify to work at the federal government, but I suspect that we are not alone in our capabilities to stay organized and do things the right way. Virginia is up next at 204-780-6868. Virginia, what do you think about this? Hi, I just want to, I'm going to be a devil's advocate. I was just wondering why why would they come to Canada to a small town of less than 200. I know they invested some money, but would they not have cleared, would they not have any legal advice as to how to go about it? And were they, were they, were they absolutely honest with their, their application? There's no suggestion anywhere along the line that they were less than honest. Okay. That is not the reason for their claim being denied or their application being rejected. It has to do solely with this medical condition. And so Mm -hmm. we can only go by their word at this point that when they found about this condition, found out about their daughter's epilepsy, that they'd been living in Canada for a year. There's mm-hmm. been at least one other text message who says, I would ask the question, were they exactly honest about this, their motives for coming here? I think their motives for going to where they did was because they could purchase a lodge and live the lifestyle that they were searching for. It's a very specific sort of lifestyle that you could only get in a small town like this in an isolated place like Waterhen, a place that I confess, as well as I know my Manitoba geography had never heard of until well, this morning. I, I have been there. It's very, very small. It is just... Doesn't, it's it, beautiful, is though, is it not? It's oh, beautiful. yes, it's a beautiful country. I mean, it's all fishing and hunting and stuff like well, that. And that's, but, and that's okay, the lifestyle they want. Okay, now why would a family come without having legal legal consultation if they were going to put in so much money? and invest this money. Well, they know done... it was only a working visa, so they know their time is going to be up sometime. Well, they came here under the uh, provincial nominee program and have, at every turn up until this one, been told that they are exactly the type of people that qualify for this program, and their paperwork and their application has been basically approved to every stage along the way up until now this ultimate decision from the federal government. So the provincial nominee program seemed to fit them absolutely perfectly and their qualifications seem to be exactly right and and fit in with that program. 
I understand that, but I'm just saying my son was working in in uh, Phoenix, okay? So, I mean, it was very disappointing for him, too, when he had invested all his money and, and made a lot of money for the company out there and, and was told he couldn't come back. He was rejected, too. There was no medical issues at all. Why was he rejected? So, well, because of 9-11, and they were screening more people. I mean, his company was from, from Colorado, and no, from Phoenix, and they, you know, he was working there for about five, six years. But, I mean, he, ha- he was on a working visa. So, again, these people knew it was a working visa. They know that sometimes their time is going to be up if they're, if they're rejected. But their, their intention was not to be here for a short amount of time. It was for a permanent move, and they were making the well, application based on that. Well, my son was the same thing, too, over that. there, too. Okay. Okay, thanks. Well, I'm, just no, saying, Virginia, okay, now, I'm just curious if they they were honest about everything. Okay. Because if you went to the States, you would not be allowed to come. If well, you had a Virgi- medical Virginia, problem. sorry, I'm going to cut you off, Virginia, and I appreciate your patience, but we're ta- like that's we're, you can't com- make the comparison. We're talking about a, a family in Canada versus your son in, in the United States. Uh, two different things, and I appreciate that his experience. I mean, it sucks that he got that he got the boot from there, but it's a different scenario. And uh, We have zero control. An impact over the decisions of the immigration processes and uh, departments in the United States. In Canada, we have voice. We are exercising that voice today. And uh, many of our callers are encouraging you to exercise your voice and express your your outrage over this decision. Ron is up next at 204-780-6868. What do you think, Ron? Well, you know, I, I can understand what Virginia is saying. I've got a, uh, a brother in the States right now that's going through a similar thing. Uh, but the point is he's putting all his monies into the, uh, into the economy and, uh, hold on for, and, and they look at it here and, uh, for her or for this person, they they've done it right. They're putting all their, all their strength and all their monies and doing stuff here. I mean, in Sunaros, Ontario, there's a number of Americans that come over, have businesses in Canada, all the money home. Right. And I'm sure that's the same as all around here. But I think what we should be doing is calling all our, our MPs and saying, you know what? We should be complaining about this through the MPs. And if the MPs are sitting on their duffs, every single one of them should be calling and saying, you know, what gives? Well, and, and what gives is a great way to put it. And we appreciate that, Ron. What gives? And everybody who is reaching out to us over the last 45 minutes is echoing that statement. What gives? We are getting, again, we're getting a lot of sentiment here from and specific reference to the story of the two men who lost their fingers. They were allowed to stay. The Warkentons who have been here since 2013 are being told they can't stay. And again, I want to make sure that I make it clear. I don't speak for anybody but myself. Uh, I think it's great that these two guys made it to Canada, lived to tell the tale, and I think it's cool that they get to stay. But if they get to stay... This family should not be shown the door. I think one has very little to do with the other. The Warkentons are here. Uh, they have merit. They are contributing to our economy. They want to be a part of our province. They want to share and enjoy this province and share what we have with the rest of the world based on this lodge that they own. And here's another text message uh, that uses the word shock. I'm in shock that the Workington family has been denied living and running a successful business in Manitoba. They have built something that helps our economy. We have accepted plenty of refugees as well that have had health issues. I don't disagree with that part of the sentiment, 
But this on a standalone basis, the merit of the Workington family, in my opinion, whether you compare it to anybody else or not, these are the exact kind of people I want moving to Manitoba. And I said it earlier, I'll say it again. I don't care if they're coming from Quebec, Alberta, Colorado, or Wisconsin. These are the type of people we want moving to Manitoba and building our economy a little bit at a time. And in the case of the Workingtons, it sounds like they're punching way above their weight class on that front. The phone number is 204-780-6868. We'd love to hear what you think about this. If you have not yet weighed in, you can also text us at 204-780-6868. Just need to quickly mention, Don texted us to say that Highway 75 southbound is shut down just north of Emerson, uh, north of Emerson scale due to a wreck. So once again, southbound Highway 75 shut down just north of the Emerson scale due to a wreck. So watch out for that if you are heading out there. Thank you, Don. And also this is just uh, coming across our news wire here. A family friend says Barbara Sinatra, philanthropist and widow of legendary singer Frank Sinatra, has died in California. It is 1.49. We will look at your forecast. Up next. Even reading a text, I can get sidetracked. Nancy, sorry, I I got sidetracked reading your text. I agreed (laughs) with uh, 90% of your text, and I got sidetracked by the 10% that I was hoping that we could stay away from. And and I understand that people are frustrated in in the comparison issue between what's going on with people wandering and, and crossing at our borders in the middle of the night and walking in without any documentation. I get that. But the Workington family, I believe, are here and should be allowed to stay here on their own merit, regardless of anything else and the way other people are being treated right now and being welcomed into our country. I think they're two separate issues. I understand uh, that a lot of people uh, are are comparing them, and I do not fault you for that in any way. Nancy went on to say, simply cannot understand how the government can allow this to happen. Where does it end? This is a mistake. We should be begging them to stay, to continue to feature the amazing Manitoba wilderness, and continue to benefit the economy. This is heartbreaking. As a taxpayer, I'm happy to support the family who is helping to build this province. How can we literally throw them out? Unreal. This embarrasses me as a Canadian. Thank you, Nancy. The phone number is 204-780-6868. We still have a couple of minutes on this. Pardon me. And we have a whole bunch of text messages, and I'm just trying to scroll through all of them. Chris says, it is a shame to hear about this person being denied immigration to Canada. I have a disability that would probably deny me as well. I'm only here because I had the privilege of being born here. I understand the reasoning of the government, but disagree with it very much. Great, great, great text. Thank you, uh, Chris. I appreciate you framing it that way. Paul says, I would question their reasons for moving to Canada in the first place. And Ray, we'll get to you in a second. I just want to finish reading this. Was it because they were denied insurance in the USA and figure we are a giving country and we wouldn't mind taking them on? We cannot take care of everyone in the world with a problem. And just uh, want to make sure that it's clear as well that this family, the Workington's daughter, was not diagnosed with epilepsy until they had been here for a year so this was not on their radar until well until well after they came into our country let's turn to ray at 204-780-6868 ray what do you think i think that uh, it's scandalous i think it's shameful 
And uh, I think we need to let these people in. Uh, never mind others that have come in who's cost us tens of thousands of dollars coming out of the gate. And this poor little girl, no fault of her own, and we'll waste money on all other kinds of stuff. No, it, it, it's shameful, and I can't agree with so many. I can't disagree with so many of the other callers. All right, Ray, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it very much at 204-780-6868. I have a text here I want to read here, Brett, with regard to the Workington family. They should, at the very least, show them some compassion and review their case. Let's start there. Let's be Canadian. How dare we say that we as a country are kind and friendly and not at least show some compassion toward a family that has clearly put so much into their lives here? My father was a refugee, my brother, and I am so grateful that Canadian government allowed him to stay and start a life. We are proud to be Canadian. My brother gives his life for this country. He is in the Navy. I work for the city. Let's give them a reason to love this country. Wow, that's well said. You got the last word on that. Thank you to everyone who participated in the conversation at 204-780-6868. You can continue to text us on this and you can email gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. After Global News at 2 o'clock, stunning results on a study on CTE as it relates to football players. We'll tell you about that after the news at 2 o'clock on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. If you are just tuning in and you are heading out on Highway 75, you should know that the highway is closed. The southbound lanes of Highway 75 are closed just north of Emerson. This is due to a crash. Don was the first one to alert us to this at 204-780-6868 and he just texted us a moment ago as well to say that Stars Air Ambulance landed at the scene of the crash roughly 10 to 15 minutes ago. So about 145, 150, that's where this happened. He sent us this text right after 2 o'clock. So, Don, we appreciate the update. We appreciate uh, all of the, any message like this that comes from you, we appreciate it to you, the CJOB listener, because we don't know everything. So a lot of times you guys give us the tips that allow us to relay the information to the rest of Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. So, Don, we thank you for that. Well, you are such a big part of who we are at 680 CGOB. It's a relationship here, right? It's not one-sided. We get a lot of our best news tips from our listeners, and they become stories. So thank you for that. We appreciate that beyond words, and uh, we love being in a relationship with you, regardless of our inability to be in re- you know healthy relationships otherwise. We, we love being in a relationship with our listeners. Hey, um, this came across the line just as we were getting ready for the show, something that uh, I've been following for a lot of years. You know that, Brett. And Mm -hmm. uh, here's the headline, CTE discovered in more than 99% of deceased NFL players' brains in study. Now, there is a cautionary note here to be sure. And this is potentially alarming a number of people, 110 of 111 brains from former NFL players detected CTE. This is in a study published by medical journal JAMA, J-A-M-A. Why don't we start by getting, uh, 
regardless of what you think about CNN, Dr. Sanjay Gupta is one of the most respected people out there, in my opinion. I love the way he can take complicated medical terminology and situations and simplify them. He's done that for us here about CTE. Dr. Gupta, take it away. Lately, it's been difficult to talk about football without mentioning concussions. Why? Well, mounting concern over a disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, more commonly known as CTE. In the world of medicine, CTE is a relative newcomer. In football, we just learned about it 10 to 15 years ago. Here's what we can say. It's a progressive degenerative brain disease. It is like Alzheimer's. It can start with memory loss, mood swings, and difficulty in concentration, developing into progressive dementia even possible thoughts of suicide. But unlike Alzheimer's, CTE can also result in significant aggression and lack of impulse control. The big difference, symptoms tend to begin much earlier in life, closer to your 40s instead of your 60s. In both diseases, there's no known cure. Researchers believe there's only one way to get CTE, and that is repeated hits to the head. What happens is that you get a buildup of an abnormal protein called tau in the brain. Scientists do know both the location of the tau and how much tau in the brain determines the symptoms you might exhibit. But scientists don't yet have a magic number of hits that results in CTE. It also isn't known who exactly would develop CTE. There are some players who take many hits and never develop symptoms. Factors like genetics and age of exposure to the trauma could play a role. How do you know if you have CTE? Just because you have symptoms doesn't mean you have the disease. In fact, as things stand now, you can only be diagnosed for sure after death. Scientists are researching how to diagnose in living people. A prominent group of researchers have found over 90% of former NFL players have developed CTE. But remember something important here. The number could be so high because of something known as selection bias. That means the brains that were studied were from people who worried that they had CTE. Also, it's not just football players that need to be concerned. Boxers, soccer players, people in the military, anyone who's exposed to constant head trauma can develop it too. So that cautionary note, I think, is very important here, uh, Brett, this idea that you have to be careful because of who participated in this study. It was a volunteer study. It wasn't a blind study. It wasn't random in any way, shape, or form. These are individuals that played in the National Football League and maybe sense there was something wrong in their brain, changes in their personality, headaches, uh, different sort of personality shifts, and so they made it very clear that upon their death, they wanted to participate in this study. And as it stands right now, the only way to know whether or not you have CTE is post-mortem. And I realize as well, Greg, that uh, any, not to, to bring your own stuff into this, but I know yeah. that you're finally, you know, you're, you're definitely keenly aware of these stories because of your experience with, with head injury and head trauma. Um, so what was your, what was your reaction when you first heard about this? Well, I, I, I have to confess, I, I'm, I'm nervous about, uh, the potential long-term implications of the brain injury, the severe brain injury that I suffered 16 years ago, uh, the multiple traumas that I suffered, uh, playing sports and otherwise I've had at least four or five, uh, I think the magic number is five diagnosed concussions since I was 14. And so... Uh, the idea that this could have long-term effect, I already as very openly talk about on the air and otherwise uh, deal with some other uh, issues in terms of mental wellness. And I know that a lot of those are magnified 
if not solely responsible and solely uh, at the root of, uh, of those issues, uh, was my original brain injury. And so uh, when I see this and I look at the details and I understand how some of these football players and I never, ever in a million years want to compare myself to a National Football League, Canadian Football League player who undergo these micro um, shocks to their brain and these mini traumas over and over again. There's a reason why football players uh, don't wear helmets and pads as often as they used to, uh, why contact in practice has been severely modified over the years, because there's an understanding that the more times that your brain gets shook around in your inside your skull, you don't have to black out, you don't have to be knocked out to A, to get a concussion, you don't have to have any sort of uh, symptoms otherwise. Uh, I mean, there are symptoms other than being knocked out. There is nausea, there are headaches, there's all sorts of things. And when it comes to CTE, as they're learning, as they dissect the human brains of these football players who said, I want my brain examined when I die, they're learning that based on the notes and the information that these players are giving them from when they were alive uh, that these alterations to their personality and the physical uh, effects uh, of these uh, concussions and these and these uh, chronic trauma to the head, uh, they're realizing that they may not realize that you have it and there's no way to diagnose it until you're gone. And, and that concerns me. As a sports fan, I want to ask you as well, and I don't know how much you... I mean, obviously, we we have the, the the big major sports here in North America: hockey, yep. football, baseball, yep. Yep. and uh, basketball. But you have other sports out there like rugby mm-hmm. or Australian football, where these soccer. guys are or where these guys are playing with nothing. I mean, in, in soccer, uh, I mean, I think you you have to have a your acting license to to be a, a qualified soccer player as well. But a big part of uh, being a soccer player is using your head to to direct the ball, right? Yeah. And so soccer is not immune from this in any way, shape, or form. I do admit I feel like a hypocrite sometimes because I understand that some of these individuals uh, that are playing professional sport, maybe less so now, but certainly for the last 30, 40 years, had no idea what their bodies, what their brains were in for when they signed up to do something that a lot of us dream of doing. I dreamed of doing it once upon a time. That was my dream, was to play in the Canadian Football League. Never mind the NFL. I just wanted to play for the Blue Bombers. And um, in retrospect, uh, my grandfather hated the fact that I played football. He didn't understand why I would want to put myself through that. Well, now you fast forward 30 years from when I started playing football, and I understand the trauma on the brain and the understanding that You don't have to be knocked out to be suffering from some sort of brain damage. You could be doing it just a tiny little bit at a time. Every time you hit someone, every time you're involved in a hitting drill, you tackle someone nose to nose, head to head. And that's why tackling um, techniques have changed over the last several years because there is that understanding. So getting back to the idea of, of being hypocritical, I know that some of these guys that are doing this for a living are going to pay for their decision with their life. And I hope that more of them understand that. And some of the best football players in the world of all time have absolutely barred their children from playing football. Really? Yeah. 
Like who? Any off Troy top Aikman head? would be probably the number one person who led the Dallas Cowboys to three Super Bowls. Didn't uh, he have to? Did he have to eventually pl- stop playing because of concussions? Or am I mixing that up? No, I don't. Steve Young. Uh, Steve Young was uh, had to cut his career short because of uh, brain injury. Absolutely. So um, I would never ever tell anyone not to put their kids in any of these sports. But I think it's imperative that we educate ourselves on what the potential long-term ramifications of these activities can be. And then once you have educated yourself and, and made that education, educated decision, then you know what? Go ahead if you feel comfortable, just as long as we're getting all the information. And that's been part of the problem. The insinuation has been that the National Football League and the National Hockey League both have known for a very long time about the about the causation and the long-term effects of chronic head trauma and have kept those results, those testing, those medical research uh, from their players, from the players' union, and have not shared that forthright with the people that make their leagues millions upon millions of dollars every year. Tim sent an interesting text as well at 204-780-6868 saying, makes you wonder why boxing or mixed martial arts isn't banned by now. Tim, that's an interesting point. And maybe uh, we'll just open the floor here at 204-780-6868. Knowing what we know today, what, and you, you just heard Greg talk about how many great football players don't want their kids playing football. Is football a sport that you would want your kids playing or any other sport that, that might involve contact? We certainly don't want to sound like fear mongers right now. I mean, nope. as Greg said, listen, it's uh, there is education that is required. We know things now that we didn't know a few decades ago about these sports that involve heavy physical contact. So where do you draw the line when it comes to your children? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text as well. And you can email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. Your forecast is coming up next. By the way, we were uh, supposed to have uh, Glenn Bergeron. He is uh, the director of the Heads Up Concussion. Concussion Institute at the University of Manitoba join us uh, in that last segment. So I apologize if that became at all about me in any way, shape or form. Our intention was to speak with Glenn Bergeron uh, about this and what this means to you, me, our kids. Uh, This revelation, this study today that shows that 110 of 111 brains of former NFL players that were donated as part of a study on CTE um, showed signs of the long-term disease, which has uh, potentially debilitating uh, effects on the human body in our conversation, or on the human brain, rather, and uh, and, and life uh, in general. Brett, we were talking before we took the break about some of the NFL players that have said that they wouldn't want their kids to play football. Mm-hmm. And right at the top of the list is a guy that shares your first name. Brett Favre does not have a son. But he says, I would be leery of him playing football. In some respects, I'm almost glad I don't have a son because of the pressures he would face. Also, the physical toll that I could possibly take on him, not to mention if he ever did make it, he's going to be a failure in everyone's eyes, but more physical toll that it could take. Also, Kurt Warner, who was a Super Bowl MVP. It's different when you put on your parents' hat. 
And yeah, I want my kids to play and I want them to be healthy and I'd love them to have a great long career. I'd love all that. But as a parent, I can't avoid the fact that it's a dangerous sport and it's a violent sport. Other names, Fran Tarkenton, anybody who has followed the National Football League back into the 1960s and 70s will know Tarkenton's name. Also, Terry Bradshaw, Adrian Peterson. We mentioned Troy Aikman, Drew Brees, Bart Scott, and Mike... Ditka, one of the toughest, can I say SOB on the radio? Yes, one of the yeah. toughest SOBs to ever play football. The Hall of Fame tight end and coach made headlines recently as he said he wouldn't want his kids playing football. While he wouldn't outright forbid it, Ditka did say he'd encourage him to try another sport, one that's about as harmless as it gets. That said, I wouldn't. Uh, and my whole life was football. I think the risk is worse than the reward. I really do. And that was part of a conversation that Mike Ditka had with HBO's Real Sports host, Bryant Gumble. You have been wanting to play a piece of audio from Warren Sapp on this very subject for a I number have. of weeks now. We have uh, just under three minutes, so we can play some of it. Do you have it queued up? I certainly do. Here's Warren Sapp, longtime NFL player, defensive lineman who played most of his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My whole thing when I started playing the game was I wanted this game to be better when I left than when I got into it. And that's the reason I'm donating my brain to the Concussion Legacy Foundation. I decided I wanted to praise my brain when I got an email from Fred Willis that had quotes from NFL owners. I mean, down the line, you can see them. There's no correlation between the football, CTE, suicides, and all of these foolish stuff. That they, I mean, where are you getting this information from and then spewing it out as if it's fact? I remember those month-long training camp when we just banged and banged and hit, and it was who was tough and the misery loves company and all the foolish sayings we used to say to each other. I mean, I mean, it was just... It was just bad. It was Neanderthals. We were dinosaurs. We were doing Oklahoma drill, bull in the ring, all the crazy stuff that was just about a tough guy. It wasn't about how much skills you had. It was just the bare bones of bone on bone, and that's not what this game should be. It's about skills. We play in the macho league, and we're talking about Hall of Famers now who are immortalized forever, made busts and everything, legends of the game. There's no way any of us want to really admit that we can't remember how to get home or a grocery list that the wife has given us or how to go pick up our kids to the school or whatever it may be. You try to, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little more sleep. Maybe, you know, it was something I did last night, maybe something I drank or whatever it is. You, you try to find a reason that it's not, that it's my brain, that I'm not deteriorating right before my own eyes. It's the most Frightening feeling, but it's also a very weakening, weakening feeling because you feel like a child. That's Warren Sapp, his declaration on the Players' Tribune website to uh, donate his brain to research. How horrifying is that? To make a decision in your, in your late 40s that, uh, yeah, I want you to look at my brain because I'm horrified of what's going on inside my body. He uh, relayed some of the things that... Retired football players and other athletes go through uh, not being able to remember a grocery list, probably the least of the concerns, but highlights what some of these players go through. And really quickly before we end this segment here, Brett, Jeff Courier was telling us a story about Tony Dorsett, the great Dallas Cowboy running back who has also had concerns about his brain health. 
decided to take a flight from Dallas to Los Angeles to see a specialist to see what could be uh, discovered and learned about his uh, current state of health in terms of his brain. And he was on the airplane, and he couldn't remember why he was on the plane, where he was going, and why. Wow. That would be terrifying. How long did it take before he recalled what he was doing that and part of the story jeff did not relay but the point that you're in the middle of something like that and you don't understand why a little bit different than going into the room uh, into a room and going why did i come in here again yeah he's on an airplane to los angeles from dallas texas it is 227 global news is coming up next and then after that we are going to revisit a winnipeg filmmaker who we spoke to her last time it was she in l.a Last time we talked to her? She sure was. Well, she's in Winnipeg today, and she's going to join us. Rainy Kerwin is our guest after Global News at 2.30. It's 2.35. Tuesday, Brett? Tuesday, yep. Tuesday. The last time I asked that question, I was pleasantly surprised because it was actually a day later than I thought it was. <laughs> uh, I wasn't really kind of ambivalent on the whole thing this afternoon. Thanks for taking some time with us this afternoon. We appreciate Beyond Question, uh, your feedback, text messages, emails, and, of course, your calls the first hour. Absolutely. Uh, tons of feedback on the Workington story about the folks from the United States who are being told that they can no longer stay in Canada because of their daughter's medical condition. Stay at tune into Global News tonight at 6 o'clock because I know Kim Lawson, our executive producer here at 680 CJOB, has been forwarding some of that conversation, some of that audio. So if you called us today, you may actually see your call and hear the audio on Global News at 6 o'clock. We have in studio with us Rainy Kerwin. We visited with her back in May. She is a Winnipegger who went down to Los Angeles to make a movie, and she's back in, in the city. Well, Rainy, how long have you been here, and how long are you going to be here for? Um, I got here uh, mid-July, so I've had um, two weekends at the cottage already, <laughs> and one more coming up. And uh, I'm, I'll be driving out of town on August 3rd, so it's a, it's a good, solid visit. I don't usually get to stay this long, so it's been really nice. You, did you fly in or did you I drive did, in? I drove. It took me 11 days. It wow. Was, and you know what? Can I just push the drive? It was amazing. Which way did you come, Rainy? Um, I came, so up, well, I went through, where did I start? I started in Los Angeles. I do know this. Then I went through um, Utah, basically that route, and then came up through South Dakota. But South Dakota, like 11 days you think is forever. It's it's not because you have to drive. <laughs> you know, it's like 10 hours a day every day. So, but South Dakota was amazing. Just, I mean, aside from Mount Rushmore, all these little offshoots of parks and wilderness and buffalo roaming free um, yeah, it's a it's a good little drive. I'm that's what I'm here to push today. You got I, to see I, that kind of stuff <laughs> while you were driving. Yeah, I did. Oh man! I mean, the speed limit the goes down. Traveled, and, right? Yeah, it was it was like um, it felt like you were in a farm or a park or something. But it's this just natural national land. You can just drive through, and you have to go really slow because there's, or I guess they're bison actually roaming across uh, the hills, the, the scenic hills with the my bad, dog. The bad lands. It was so bad. It was good. <laughs> how, how long is the drive home going to be? Uh, longer because I'm going to, you know, okay, here's this, you might know this, but there's a holiday coming up here, August long weekend. We can, and we're camping on the way back. We can't get a campsite in Canada, so we have to dip down into the U.S. to get to Kelowna. 
This is a true story. Really? Does any can I put a shout out? Does anyone have a campground somewhere between here <laughs> within Canada so we can stay in Canada? But yeah, so that's we're gonna dip down and then down Seattle through Seattle and down the coast and uh, yeah. So you're gonna stop in Kelowna on the way back to California IA. I am. I have a really good friend from high school out there, and so we'll we'll hang out with her. We're just kind of picking spots where we know people. We know people in Kalispell, Montana, and then Seattle and just down the coast in Bend, Oregon. So we're just we're we're couch surfing, I guess. How long have you been in California now? When did you leave Winnipeg? Um, I left Winnipeg twice. Um, it didn't stick the first time. I got on a bus uh, after I graduated from Collège Belliveau. And uh, four days later, that was a shorter road trip. Four days later on a bus, I was in L.A. And then I, I came back. I went to U of M, studied at Manitoba Theater Center, Prairie Theater Exchange, all that fun stuff. Took a year in Australia, and then I went back again. So I've been there 17, 18 years. So what made you get on the bus the first time? Oh, my God. <sighs> how many, and how many tickets back. did you get, right? Because they give you the print, you out all oh. the tickets with all the transfers, right? So you go like uh, Grand Forks, Fargo, and then they... Have you done they this trip? I don't remember uh, not that. West, but I've done it. I I, I did it east. Uh, yeah, probably. And, yeah, yeah. So remember, anyway, what made you decide to get on this bus? And how did your mom let you do that? She So my mom is in the studio with us right now, who also makes a cameo appearance in the film. Um, you know, I think my mom just knew at a young age I was going to do what I was going to do. So when I turned 18, she helped me. She, she helped get rid of me. I don't know if she has any comment on that. Probably best if she doesn't. But um, yeah, she just said, do it. Get on the bus and go. It's your dream. I'm not going to, you're going to do it anyway. I was so stubborn. I, you know, I thought I was an adult at age five. Um, so at age 18, I, I got on this Greyhound bus, Greyhound. Yeah. And um, I, 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 you know, I, I'm sound, I'm making it sound better than it was, or I was a little bit crazier than I was. I had an, a godmother out there. Um, so I stayed with her. I mean, I wasn't roughing it. She had a place in Beverly Hills. So my first month, okay, okay. I know, right? I buried the lead there a little bit. It's really hard, you guys. I'm four days, the violin as we speak. No shower and a butt. Yeah. So I, I had four days and it's hard though. Cause there's Hills, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, I'm not used to that. Not, I was not used Sore to it. calves for the first little while, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I was walking around the Beverly Hills area. Yeah. So awesome. you, how long were you there? For that six, particular visit. Six months. Six months. You know, it was so interesting. I mean, that's such a young time to be on your own anywhere, but especially in L.A., you know, so I had a ton of jobs and I was so young there. Everyone that had moved out to L.A. to be an actor was, you know, after college or university, was 25 or so. So um, I did a play. I did a play for um, six, three months. And then after the play ended, I came back and thought, oh, I'll go to the University of Manitoba, hang out. Drink some Lavat's Light. <laughs> it's cheaper here. B-52s, right? Oh, yeah, more time there drink. than you should have uh, spent. Yeah. So, you know, so your time back home, did that just entrench the idea that you were going to go back to Los Angeles and perf- pursue this idea of being in film, being a performer? It's really interesting. I guess I haven't, you know, on this sort of press circuit, people ask you questions that you hadn't thought about before. Um, I don't know. I think I, I imagine I would have thought of that as a failure, you know, that I'd failed, that I couldn't make. I mean, it was expensive. I think that's why I came back. I was like barely making ends meet at age 18. But I, yeah, I think I would have thought of that kind of as coming back as a failure. I don't know that I had a plan at that point, but a couple more years in Winnipeg and just, I don't know, I had this drive at a very young age to entertain people. And so I guess um, a couple years of, of maturing and I was like, okay, well, let's try it again. But I will say this, I celebrate my anniversary every year. It's September or it's uh, 
it's um, November 9th every year I celebrate because I feel like oh, I made another year in L.A. I've survived another year in L.A. That's the, so, the anniversary uh, of your second? That's the anniversary of my, yeah, the non-failure time. Yeah. <laughs> and Thanks how, for bringing it up, guys. And how long has that been? <laughs> It'll be 18 years. We can go back to the tape, but it was actually you we, who brought it up. We can, oh, shoot. Oh, darn, I hate when things are taped. Is this being taped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People listening. Yeah. It's not vaporware. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. It will live uh, forever. So you, yeah. you left, you, you finished school. Sorry, how much time passed from, the, from graduation to getting on the bus? Uh, five days. Real? Wow. So five <laughs> days. There wasn't a bus sooner. <laughs> so you. I think I was still drunk from safe grad. So you fled immediately, and uh, you were there six months. You came back. Uh, you, what did you take at the University of Manitoba? Oh, I really enjoyed it. But I have to say, I don't know that I ever planned on getting a degree because really I just took the classes I wanted to take. Yeah. There's um, a great, well, he's a filmmaker and a teacher, George Tolls, who um, is quite famous in Winnipeg, but he was my he was my teacher. So it was kind of a cool experience to kind of look back now and like, oh, you know, I had, I had this nice connection to this guy that was already in film so early on. He was my drama teacher as well as my film studies teacher. So, yeah, that was kind of neat. And what? he's connected to... Um, Guy, Guy Madden? Guy Madden, yeah, mm, they work okay. together. Oh, Fascinating stuff. should have stuttered on that name, sorry. That's okay. That's no problem. When you're out of town, you right, yeah. you have to reorient. <laughs> should have brought notes. I, I need my Winnipeg <laughs> Rolodex now. Right. And there's nothing worse than being in Vancouver or being in Calgary or something. It's like, I know, oh no, I right. don't know no. you. You don't belong here. You're from somewhere else. So. Oh, you know, I do that in L.A. sometimes. You see a famous person but not famous enough so they're Tom Cruise, and you're like, right. oh, I think I know you. Oh, I don't know. Didn't yeah. I tell that story just the other day about the time I was working at Earl's? And this oh. guy, I worked at Earl's. Which, that's, sorry, that, but, sorry that, this was your moment. Maybe that's how we know each other. No. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about this. So this uh, young man walks in the door, and I'm very chummy with him, sit him down, and he's with what is obviously his mom, and they're sitting down, they're visiting, so I'm like, so how you doing? He's like, uh, I'm fine. I'm like, uh, I haven't seen you for a while. He's like, you've never met me before. <laughs> I'm like, uh, didn't you go to Kelvin? He's like, no, I'm not even from Winnipeg, dude. I'm like, I know you. He says, um, my name's Jonathan Torrance. And uh, Jonovision was at the uh, height of its popularity. So just so happened, oh. I happened to recognize him and made that connection. That Thought I knew him. Never met him before. but well, Like because... J-Rock from the Trailer Park Boys? Yes. <laughs> But because, right, because he's on the air and was on TV and stuff, there's that familiarity. Yeah. And uh, boom, I uh, got trapped in the old, uh, hey, nice to see you. Yeah, you don't know me. I I'm Jonathan Torrance. Nice to meet you. <laughs> my God, that's now my new aspiration to not get that famous, but just like medium famous. So people think they know me. I, I new, think that's a good place to be. Ass. It's never happened. Nobody's <laughs> ever recognized me. But that's, yeah, that's the You've never been asked for your autograph in Los Angeles? No. Well, you know, the film just came out, so that could change. We're but trying to actually, fix that. you know what? I should say this was years ago. I was wor I was working as a waiter, but I'd done a film called Pride and Prejudice. And it was a smaller version of the the modern day remake. And somebody, when I was waiting tables at the end of dinner, they said, We recognized you the moment we sat down, really? but we didn't want to say anything. They said, Can we have a picture? And they nice. were tourists. And I was so embarrassed because I was waiting tables. It was like exactly the cliche, right? Actress, waitress. And I said, No. Oh, God. I want you to said that. no? Yeah, I had my name tag on. I had a vest. It was, that was, is not very Canadian of you, Rainy Kerwin. It wasn't. I guess I was playing the American card, mm -hmm. being more American. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's more American than me. We'll find out more about the movie that she is referring to. we got to pause and look at the forecast. Rainy Kerwin is our guest. She's a Winnipegger who lives in L.A., back in town for a visit, and we will continue our chat in a moment after the forecast. If I do my uh, typical double it, add 30, 24, 24, 48, 10, about 78 degrees for you, Rainy. Oh, just so you know. I was going to ask. I didn't want to trap. Double double and add 28. Is that your? Double 24 and add 30, and then you'll roughly convert Celsius into Fahrenheit. Yeah. Wow, that's the formula? Roughly, you'll be within one or two degrees, so for the most part. The higher the temperature gets, the less dependable that becomes. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. Rainy Kerwin is in studio with us. She's from Los Angeles. She's a Winnipeg gal who's uh, made a film, and we want to talk about this film because I've seen the trailer. I think it looks brilliant, and it's been up for a couple of different awards at at, uh, different film festivals. Brett McGarry, one of the couch potatoes, Brett, and his co-host Jeff Braun, well, their life is really movies and television. So I'm going to turn this part of the conversation over to you, Brett. The Wedding Invitation is the film. We talked to you about this back in May. And this was a film that, and you'll please forgive my poor memory. Uh, when was it scheduled to be released? You said it's out now. Yeah, we released June 6th. So I did all of my press in L.A. And then I came up here and I thought, why not uh, hit a couple more shows? (laughs) So how's it gone so far since it's been released? Uh, It's been going really well. I mean, you know, we don't know numbers until after the next quarter, but um, the feedback and stuff has been incredible. I I, I will say the the most feedback that I've really gotten on it kind of face to face has been for the last year we were on the festival circuit. And that's amazing because, you know, you're playing to packed theaters and you're getting instant reaction to it. And it's a comedy, right? You either live or die in the theater in that moment. So um, that's where I've kind of, you know, connected with the pe- the fans and the people that are, that, are, uh, that are into this film. And it's been an incredible ride so far. So you're the, the writer, the director, the star. So this is your baby. Yeah, that was a... That was a dumb move. (laughs) Why was that dumb? (laughs) It's too many hats. It's just too many hats to wear. I mean, I also produced it. So um, in the end, I'm glad I I went that direction with it, and um, I learned so much. So this is, you know, just to go back a little bit, this is the first feature that I've been on this side of. I've gotten to the finish line with. I've been um, producing other projects that have fallen apart for a couple of years, and this one in particular was set to go uh, about seven or eight years ago. And, uh, you know, we, we, it was supposed to be a $10 million film. I mean, I wasn't on board to direct it. I wasn't on board to star in it. I was the writer and I was going to have a smaller role. And essentially we just couldn't get it funded because it was a female driven comedy, which that's a term now, but before bridesmaids, it really wasn't. And, you know, women meaning very little in the foreign market, the financiers just said, we're not going to fund this film. So we'd spent, you know, years, you know, well, a, a good two years kind of getting the package together. I mean, we had, you know, the director attached, the producer, EP, we were making offers to talent and it just kind of fell apart. So after that, I had another project that was the same thing, was funded and fell apart, funded and fell apart. And I mean, that's how movies go, you know, it's just sort of a miracle when anything gets on the screen. Um, and then I finally took this project back, but in doing so, I had to wear the, that many hats. You know, I had to say, I had to prove that I could do it. Um, so that's what I did. I just, you know, crowdfunded the first seeds of it. And um, after I did that, I, we had a successful campaign doing that. Um, investors, it was easier than I thought. It, is, it had been, it was easier than it had been. Felt like it was, it's time, this film. 
Um, so we, we got all that together and then, you know, we, I started hiring, we location scouting, casting, pre-production, hiring the entire crew. And, uh, and then we, we went from there. How much did it cost to make this movie? Um, well, you know, I was recently in a meeting and I, I, the woman said, this this is an agency. And I said, what do you think the movie was? And she said, it looks about 1.2 million. And I said, no, it was 175, 175,000. Oh my word. But I mean, I, it's, it's hard to say like in certain, yeah, thank you for saying that because in, you know, certain circles know, you know what that means. In other circles, if you haven't seen the film and you heard it was 175,000, you're like, eh, but you, you know, the film doesn't look like that in that it was, yeah, even from the trailer, right? But, um, you know, we had 23 locations in 19 days. We were very, very ambitious. I mean, it was a big bite. Like, that was kind of crazy numbers. But in doing that, like, I can never make this kind of film again. Next time I do this, I won't do this level again, but it would cost me 1.2 to make this film. But, you know, I had a free sound mix because uh, my dad's friends with an Emmy award-winning sound mixer. My uh, DP, which is my camera person, my director of photography, um, brought all her cameras. She just wanted to do a romantic comedy. So it was these people, and people just started coming to us. And part of that was that we we used an all-female crew, um, it's a huge hot topic in LA and has been in the industry for, I shouldn't say LA in the industry entirely for a long time, the low numbers of, of women working in Hollywood. So, uh, we were the first film to do that. Um, and I think a lot of people gravitated to us for that. And there was a lot of heart and passion in it. And it, you know, if we, if we were paying people their full salary, I don't think we would have had that level of work out of them. You know, it's it's hard to say that because I next time I will pay them their full salary. But because I didn't, everybody was on board. Nobody was collecting overtime. They were there till the end. And it was the most amazing experience of my life. We have about 45 seconds left. If uh, someone listening to this radio station wants to see The Wedding Invitation, how do they do that? Yeah, you can. It's it's streaming. So wherever you buy or rent your VOD, so iTunes, um, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube. Um, yeah, check it out. It's a really fun, silly, slightly raunchy comedy. <laughs> so check it out. Yeah, and I like the, the premise as well. I think the line in the trailer was, how hard can it be to hit on a guy? And I always thought that it would actually be easy for women to hit on the men, but this movie sort of dispels that myth. Yeah, there's a lot of awkward, embarrassing, drunken... There's a lot of tequila. I'm here with my posse. (laughs) Posse, yeah, that's one word for it. (laughs) Rainy Kerwin is her name. She is our guest as she gets ready to head back to Los Angeles in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you so much for taking some time while you're in Winnipeg to come see us. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. Things never quiet around here for very long, are they, Brett McGarry? Uh, Breaking news and uh, situations, and quite often, as we've mentioned at least once today, we thank you for your news tips and you sharing information with us at 204-780-6868. That's by text, brett at cgob.com or gmac at cgob.com. And in fact, it's a listener who tipped us off to uh, something that's going on north of the city. Yeah, we can't really uh, get into the specifics. A uh, listener just texted us that something is happening in Gimli, and RCMP can confirm that they are investigating a serious incident in Gimli. Details are sketchy, but police say they are going to release more information as soon as it becomes available. So thank you once again to the listener who sent us this tip. We appreciate 
that you let us know so that we can let the rest of Southern Manitoba know. Now, Rainy Kerwin was just in studio, and Rainy and I realized that we had a... Uh, some commonalities in our past and connection through uh, conversation that we were having on and off the air. Brett, this next story that we're going to talk about rang a bell for you. And this, to me, just highlights your incredible memory <laughs> and the way you retain things on a level that I could only wish to aspire to. Uh, this is a story that you did almost four years or three years to the day. It was three years ago. And at the risk of turning this into a mutual admiration society, you have a much better memory oh, than I do. Move but uh, they, they, it's the words in this. I'll just let me read you the, the note. That came to us today. Wanted to follow up with you on a story. The Pau Sheik, and I'm not sure, I don't even know if I'm saying this correctly. We have somebody in studio who can tell us, and we'll get to that in a moment. I'm going to go with the Pau Sheik Skipperling is an endangered butterfly in Winnipeg's own backyard, and the Nature Conservancy of Canada is trying to save it from extinction. Estimates are that there are fewer than 100 left in Canada. Right away, I remember, it's not often you come across the word a word like skipperling. So I thought, I, I think I've done something on this. So I searched through my email because I'm a digital hoarder, and I found a, a copy of the schedule from the, the afternoon drive when I was filling in on that on July 24th, 2014, almost three years to the day, did something on this. So I said to Greg, we got to do something on this just for the fact that it was almost so, three years to the day. So coincidental. So we have in studio with us, Carrie, is it Hamill? It's Hamill. Hamill, science manager with the Nature Conservancy of Canada here in Winnipeg. Did I say it correctly? You Pow- said it dead on right. Powashik? You got it. Powashik skipperling. It's an endangered butterfly. Now, if memory serves, in 2014 when I talked to you, this was a, a butterfly that could only be found in three places on Earth, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Manitoba near Vida. You got it. Is that still the case? That is still the case. So what is, what's changed between then and now? Well, it's uh, even worse off in Michigan. Um, between now and then, we think there's less than 500 left on the planet. Back wow. three years ago, we would have thought it would have been at least in the thousands, if not the tens of thousands. And unfortunately, just before I came in here, we talked to folks in Michigan to ask how things were going. And they haven't done their final tally, but things are worse this year than they were last year as well. well what, what can you account for that? What, what, what is causing the disappearance of this butterfly species? You know, it's really, um, it's a bit of a mystery. Certainly, it's a prairie species. So, you know, tall grass prairie used to stretch from Michigan to Texas to Manitoba. And, and that's been pretty big trouble. But even then, it was still hanging on 20 years ago. And then it just started kind of blinking out at site after site after site. So we're really desperately trying to do research to figure out what is going on. Why is this a big deal? Why should we be paying attention to this? Yeah, it's really part of Manitoba and, and Canada's heritage. These these grasslands that they live in are, um, you can think of them like old growth grasslands. That's what people talk about, old growth forests. They've been around for thousands of years. And this Powashik skipperling is just one of, of many thousands of species that depend on them. So I guess, you know, it's Canada's 150th where we think about the heritage that we have and what we want to pass on for Canada's 300th. And, and that's how I like to think about it is something to hold on to and, and pass on to future generations. How long do these butterflies live? Uh, one year. They, uh, they're uh, laid as an egg. They kind of grow up as, as a caterpillar in different stages. They somehow survive our winters um, without any special protection. They just hang on to grass under the snow. The snow probably helps a lot. And then they uh, become butterflies for two weeks, mate and die. Really? That's it. <laughs> Sounds like a, 
I don't know if that's a good life or not. Short but sweet. Let's put it that way. Uh, one of our listeners has texted in one single word, and that word is pesticides. Well, it's one of the lines that we're looking at, along with lots of other stuff going on. Um, people talk about climate change a lot. It's, it's, it can be a lot more complicated than that, but it has been getting warmer, and it's been getting actually wetter a lot of, a lot of its range. So maybe there's a new disease we don't know about. We don't know. Scientists are always going to, you know, hold on until we have a lot of certainty. And right now, we don't have certainty. So there are, you say, uh, I think fewer than 500 left on the planet. Any idea at one point what the number may have been at its peak? You know, it's one of those things where it was so common 20 years ago that butterfly folks would forget to write it down when they were making a list. So the problem with that is people weren't even doing research on it. And then sometimes these common species just, they hit a tipping point and they just start crashing. So we don't know even basic things about, you know, what do the caterpillars eat? And, and how do the butterflies spend their time each day? So we're doing basic research like that right now. Boy, and when you're trying to pinpoint just basically what equivalent, equivalent, which is equivalent to a handful of butterflies across North America, that's got to make your task very, very difficult. It, it really is, yeah. And, and even doing research in the fields, you're afraid to step on one because sure, <laughs> you sure. could be contributing to the problem. So we've heard of the, mon- the plight of the monarch butterfly, but there's a... We seem to have figured out exactly why uh, these issues are taking place, or at least we we know where they where they go and where they originate. But this seems to be a, a much bigger mystery. Yeah, yeah, we've come a long way. There's this really amazing team uh, involved here in Manitoba: uh, the Assiniboine Park Zoo, the University of Winnipeg, University of Manitoba, Nature Conservancy Canada, and many other partners. And there's a team like that in the United States as well, where it's just as endangered, obviously. And um, it's a real kind of success story in that way. Um, I worry sometimes, the things that keep me up at night, right, is species blink out and we don't even know. And in this case, we know that something's wrong and uh, there's a real response among dozens of, of organizations. And, and of course, we're a charity, so among our donors, too, who are so thankful for. So, you know, the, I guess that to me is the, the hopeful part of the story is that it's not going to go unnoticed and we're going to do our best to make sure it doesn't go extinct. Want to talk about the bigger picture as we continue our conversation with Carrie Hamill, who is Science Manager, Nature Conservancy of Canada. We're talking about the Powashik Skipperling. This is an endangered butterfly, which can only be found in a couple of places on the planet, and one of them is right here in Manitoba in the tall grass prairie. We'll continue our chat after traffic and weather, starting in two minutes. 318. Tuesday afternoon, Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you. We're talking about the Powashik Skipperling. It's an endangered butterfly in Winnipeg's own backyard. And we're three years removed from the first conversation you had about this, Brett McGarry. July 24th, 2014, I spoke with our guest on this very subject, Carrie Hamill, who is the science manager with the Nature Conservancy of Canada right here in Winnipeg. And uh, this is a, a butterfly that can only be found in Michigan, Wisconsin, and here in Manitoba in the tall grass prairie. And uh, I wanted to know, how does this connect to a, a bigger picture? The fact that this species is disappearing, is that something that is sort of connected to a, a sort of a larger tapestry we should be concerned with? Yeah, I think the uh, the larger picture is the state of the prairies in Manitoba, but even across North America, uh, you know, the, the Great Plains that people see when they drive to Alberta or south to Texas or into Colorado, they are recently, a World Wildlife Fund report uh, confirmed it as the most endangered ecosystem on the planet. Uh, it is going down fast, and any species that needs prairie or grasslands to live on is in trouble. 
So what can people do then? Or is like, I know that you, one of the reasons why you wanted to come talk to us is because you want to, you're trying to raise money, I guess, to fight back. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, every, uh, once in a while we talk about the species with people and they ask, what can I do? And, and it's a bit of a difficult one because it just lives in one tiny place. But um, one thing that anyone can do in their own backyard or, or balcony or anything is just plant native plants, attract pollinators in. That kind of helps the environment in general. Specifically with uh, this butterfly, we have this partnership with the University of Winnipeg to um, uh, kind of jointly fundraise, which is kind of neat, a charity and a university doing it as a team. And the money in this case will go to uh, half to research and half to managing the butterfly's habitat uh, with Nature Conservancy of Canada preserves that we have down by Vita. Why well, can't you, couldn't you just capture a couple of these butterflies and breed them? them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a fantastic question. And the problem is we, we lack some of the, the basic knowledge on how to even make that happen. Boy. Having said that, uh, the Minnesota Zoo and Assiniboine Park Zoo are getting together and they're doing something called captive rearing. So just trying to take a, a, a few eggs from the wild and, and help them survive our, our pretty nasty winters and then put them back out in the exact same spot in the spring. So um, that's something that's going on right now. Oh, that's actually a good idea. Yeah, so, okay. The other species that they've done this with successfully, carry. Yeah, they just started with this species just this year. And, and other species that, that where they've had success? Yeah, it's worked, really, uh, it's worked really well for something called the Dakota Skipper, an endangered uh, species um, that's in Manitoba as well. And the Minnesota Zoo just had tremendous success with that, so we're hoping to build on it. Why is the word skipper used with so many butterflies? Yeah, you know, it's a group of butterflies, and, and honestly, when you look at them in the field, they might all look the same, but these ones kind of bounce up and down as they fly. They kind of skip along, so it's something that people use to identify them. And uh, we only have about 60 seconds here. I've always been curious about this, and entomologists might disagree. I know Taz Stewart from Poulins, he uh, he would disagree. Uh, he, did, he did disagree with me on the air about this, and, <laughs> but uh, why is it that butterflies are regarded as these, you know, sort of lovely little creatures, but the moth is a blight. <laughs> my, my partner hates moths too. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. This year, I think somewhere I saw hashtag International Year of the Moth. I think it's a big year for them. And I've been noticing some really beautiful moths around. So really? I don't it's know a, what the source of that. It's the International Year of the Moth on my front doorstep every <laughs> night when I turn on my, my lights. So uh, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the moth. Uh, we didn't ask you what this butterfly looks like before you go. Can you give us the... Uh, uh, you know, in 10 seconds, what they look sure. like. Easy to notice. It's smaller than a, than a loony, and it's kind of orange and brown and uh, really beautiful when you're up close, but uh, from afar, it looks pretty drab. <laughs> where can they go uh, online? For where, do you have a website that people can look at? Yeah, this crowdfunding thing I'm talking about, universityuwinnipeg.ca, and then backslash skipperling. All right. Carrie Hamill is Science Manager with Nature Conservancy of Canada. Thanks for taking the time to come join us today in studio. Thank you so much. 322, forecast and sports up next. Craig Mackling, <laughs> Craig Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. Try and combine Mackling and McGarry. It just doesn't work, Brett. Hey, just want to let you know, I uh, just got word from uh, our crack production staff. Jerry Richardson uh, tells me that the latest edition of the Blue Bomber podcast, Doug Brown and myself, is up at cjob.com. You can download, subscribe, listen, and also enter to win tickets to uh, Blue Bombers game coming up. We have a secret word embedded in the podcast. We'd love for you to check it out and send you to a football game if you uh, text the secret word to 204-780-6868. Once again, embedded in the Blue Bomber podcast. Thanks to everybody who downloaded and listened last week in our inaugural 
edition of the Blue Bomber podcast. Already the most popular podcast at 680CJOB and CJOB.com. Well done, Mr. Mackling. I give Doug Brown all the credit in the world, and he'll Doug will share stuff. In particular, this week, he will share opinion uh, on the podcast that he won't necessarily share on the air, and he won't necessarily share in his newspaper column. So it's an opportunity to hear Doug uh, in another layer of honesty. He's also uh, one of those guys that is energy is infectious and so uh, the energy on the podcast is pretty high as high energy as I can be sometimes on air with you we're talking about football it's 30 minutes of go 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 Doug let's go (laughs) I should point out as well that uh, the podcast is no, the number one podcast surpassed the previous number one podcast? I'm which sorry. was no, that's okay. The Mackling and McGarry are one two on the podcast. The Couch Potatoes. You can also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at uh, Google Play or iTunes. And of course, on the subject of podcast, you can get Mackling and McGarry on podcast form as well. Uh, we load that. I try to have that up every day by about quarter to five. Five-ish, so you're you're very efficient in that. Hey, uh, we missed this somehow yesterday, Brett. I guess it it went up at globalnews.ca just as we were getting off the air yesterday. I see it's hitting a bunch of other media outlets in the last couple hours here. And Manitoba RCMP pull over lawnmower, impaired driving charges laid. <laughs> <laughs> There's even pictures here. I'm not even joking. Really? Yeah, go to globalnews.ca or send me an email, gback at cjob.com, or send Brett one. We'll send you the link to this. But just uh, Google Global Manitoba RCMP Pullover Lawnmower. Was this person taking their lawnmower for a ride down the highway? Yeah, one fifty-two in the morning. <laughs> On Saturday, so I don't know, you know, I know people try to be careful with this in terms of making sure it's accurate. So 1.52 a.m. Saturday, I'm guessing that means very late Friday night into the wee hours Saturday morning. A lawnmower was spotted driving on Bridge Street in the RM of Headingley. He was uh, giving his 39-year-old female passenger a ride to get cigarettes at a nearby gas station and felt he was being responsible by not driving a car, the RCMP posted on their Facebook page. A 41-year-old man was arrested and is facing a charge of impaired operation of a motor vehicle. RCMP remind people, in Canada, it is illegal to operate any motor vehicle while impaired by alcohol or drug. I wonder what the kilometers per hour uh, lawnmower can get. It probably Five, would have been faster six. to walk. It might have been faster to walk. <laughs> or crawl to the store. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how fast they go. Uh, I got a buddy who listens to the show who works very closely with John Deere products. Lee, if you're listening this afternoon, shoot me a text. How fast can my John Deere uh, driving lawnmower go, like in open throttle in the open spaces? <laughs> shoot me a text or an email, Lee. I would love to hear from you. Uh, and if anybody else knows, I uh, don't want to disclude you from the opportunity to uh, share your knowledge. 204-780-6868. Must congratulate Vern Daniluk. Why? yesterday's professional bull riders winner. Oh, hey, way to go, Vern. We didn't have time to uh, mention the winner, but Vern knew the answer to the question. We'll get to that in a moment. But we, before we do that, we need to tell you that 
PBR Canada, so not Pabst Blue Ribbon, <laughs> Professional Bull Riders Canada, coming back to Winnipeg Friday, October 6th at Bell MTS Place. And if you were paying attention yesterday, then you might know the answer to this question already. Today's question, as it pertains to PBR, what is the name of the Luke Perry bull riding movie? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. What is the number to call, or what is the, the movie? Luke Perry starred in a bull riding movie. What was it called? Need you to phone 204-780-6868. If you know the answer, you could be going to see PBR Canada Professional Bull Riders. Did you just recycle a trivia question? Sort of. Sort of. And if you were paying attention yesterday, then you'll understand once we connect the dots for you. But in the meantime, 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Doing a lot of recycling. I'm being envi- environmentally responsible. I like that. We recycled the question last week. Yes. And we're sort of recycling one today. I like the way you're thinking. By the way, I knew it wouldn't be long before someone texted in. Uh, most ride-on tractors do four to six miles an hour. Really? Yes. Okay. So it would be faster to run, but not faster to walk. <laughs> And Probably. if you were Michael Phelps I could do it swimming in the ocean against a shark, you could do about six miles an hour, apparently. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, not mm-hmm. bad. Somebody says, what if you're in your yard cutting the grass? Is that illegal to drink then, too? Unless you're on the highway, you're just cutting your grass. Yeah. Yeah. I can uh, sit in, my, uh, in the driver's seat of my car in my driveway and use that as a seat, listen to the radio, dr- have a beer, I'm not operating vehicle. Yeah. Right. Brendan texted us and says, and you might know something about this, Greg. Minidosa Beach used to have an old Yazoo three wheeled mower that could go better than 50K. (laughs) Get out of town. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, in Minidosa, they don't mess around. When they've got a job to do, they need to get it done because you got to get to the beach, plain and simple. It is 345 on 680 CJOB. While Jeff is fielding calls at 204-780-6868, we will pause and have a look at traffic and weather coming up next. Certain it's not the first time, and it definitely won't be the last. You cannot drink a beer sitting in your driveway in your car. Yeah. Yeah. You can be. Uh, you can get a ticket for it, apparently. That's yeah. one of our texts. Our listeners, or Jack. Like multiple. Oh, really? Yes, multiple. Okay. Okay. Can't do that, GMAC. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to dispense inaccurate information. Hashtag fake news. Hashtag unintentional. Uh, we had a texter also said uh, that her husband's uh, riding lawnmower goes 15 kilometers an hour, and they live by Bridge Road. Anyway, we digress. Richard Cloutier and Brittany Greenslade are here to tee up what's coming up on the news. And Brittany, I understand you have some uh, news on the situation in Gimli. Yeah, a developing story at this hour. We can confirm that... One person is dead. It is considered suspicious at this time. RCMP are just in the initial parts of their investigation. This is right in downtown Gimli around the Chicken Chef area. I don't know if anybody is familiar with that area of Gimli mm-hmm. right now. but uh, So RCMP currently investigating that, and we will be following that uh, throughout the rest of the evening. Also after the news at 4 o'clock, a Winnipeg immigration lawyer on the big story of the day that we're featuring here on Global News and the Workington family. And uh, you folks were talking to... Uh, Winnipeggers and Manitobans about it. Zaitman will weigh in to say that this should be an open and shut case for this family to be able to stay in Canada. More on that coming up. Uh, hey, the Canada Summer Games just around the corner. No kidding. Uh, 
thousands will be here in Winnipeg. We're getting set. We've put the paint job on, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk to the uh, person who's in charge of the torch relay, the opening, the festivals. You know, Winnipeg is fun in the summer. We're about to really crank it up in this city. I've said this a couple of times now. You remember the 99 Pan Am games. And in the lead up, I think a lot of people were, it was a little bit of a mystery, right? How much were we going to enjoy this? Was it really a big deal? And by the time the games were over, it was like, wow, this is one of the coolest things that's ever happened in Winnipeg. Don't miss the boat on this and, and realize halfway through it that it's really going to be a heck of a time. Well, hey, we're already getting the Winnipeg sign that's going to be installed tomorrow. Oh, so we're catching yeah. up with some of the other big cities in the country. It's going to be a big tourist attraction. Everyone loves to take their picture in front of something like that. I'm looking forward to the two of you uh, in front of that Winnipeg sign and Instagramming that out tomorrow afternoon. (laughs) The looks right now? (laughs) I think that'd be good. (laughs) If looks could kill. Gary and and Mackling in front of the Winnipeg sign. No problem. Together. Make it happen. Sprawled out. There's no sprawl. Right, you're you're quiet over there. I don't... I'm always quiet during this segment. <laughs> usually, uh, usually I can just get in the way while Greg and uh, Julie uh, beak at each other, and occasionally Richard. There'll uh, be no splaying and there'll be no sprawling, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> can we hang? Can we hang from the side? You can just hang. don't break it. You know, we always like to say that we like to have nice things here, but the last time we had a sign here, someone went and punched it and broke it. Wasn't so it made out of styrofoam? Regardless, let's have nice things. <laughs> Where Come was, on. Whose idea was that? Where was that? <laughs> it was near the Forks. I think it was for the Grey Cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's okay. have nice things. Yeah. I agree. Br- Brittany Greenslade and I actually agree on this. Someone will oh. probably key it. Probably. It's like whenever. No. It's like when you see. Uh, <laughs> no. It's like when people see nice cars in a parking lot no. and they key them just because. No. Yeah. No, it's going to be, be Brett if you see it keyed. No, it won't <laughs> be Brett. No, it won't be Brett. No. Brett. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. No. That's not. That would. Maybe when I was 13. Yeah. It would just, it will just be a, it would be a beautiful picture with Brett's smiley face. Okay. All right. Well, we'll work on getting up, getting down there for that. What time are they unveiling this sign tomorrow? Whenever you're ready. Oh, gee whiz. Stand still for Mackling and McGarry. Okay. Richard Cloutier, Brittany Greenslade, thank you so much. More on the news from four until seven on 680 CJOB. That's all the time we have. Once again, thanks to Jeff Fortier and Master Control. Greg Mackling, thank you very much, sir. I hope tomorrow's show is brought to you by WD forty. Yes, I'd be really. I just, I was just trying to lobby to get a, a new, a comfy new chair. I only need five of them. Yeah. I hope you have a fantastic evening. We'll see you tomorrow at one o'clock, one till four. Mackling McGarry, it's Brittany Greenside and Richard Cloutier coming up <laughs> next. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.